you, like me, might be wondering what I'm doing up here. <laughs> wow, thank you. <laughs> well, if, if you're not familiar, Glenn Alsop sitting right over here, he is the guilty party that guilted me into doing this. So after the service is over, get in line with me and we can discuss with him why we did this. <laughs> um, for our visitors that, that are here, um, one of the things is, so I am not the normal pulpit minister. I think in the order of worship, it might have said Jason Haygood. He is our normal preaching uh, minister, does a fabulous job. Um, he is a great speaker of the word. He is one of the best, um, he's the, one of the best I've ever heard. Did I get it right? <laughs> All right. Um, and it's been a long time since I've been up here in front of you besides to, to talk about giving, which I do often, and this is Thanksgiving, but don't worry, I'm not going to talk about giving. Um, it's been, I don't know, five or six years since I was up here, and I said I would never do this again. And again, thank you, Glenn. Um, and so I was coming up with jokes, because I, I like to hear people laugh to kind of calm me down, so some jokes that I could come with, up with, but my kids were very worried about dad jokes. So I said, if you ever have an open mic, What's a good thing to do? It's to say great things about your wonderful, beautiful, phenomenal wife. We've done it. All right, coming out of Thanksgiving, as you see the sermon uh, today, the lesson is an attitude of gratitude. So coming out of Thanksgiving, you might feel like you might feel like this. All right, uh, before I get started with the lesson, everybody should have gotten one of these. Maybe it's in blue, pink, green, or yellow. Um, I ask that you do not destroy it. Um, do not draw pictures of me on it. Don't do anything to it because we're going to do something with this towards the very end of the lesson. So, and if when we get there you don't have one of these, then I'll let you know and you can raise your hand and we'll bring it around. Uh, or even now, if you don't have one of these, you can raise your hand, and Steve will bring you one and a pen this. if you need it. So I want everybody that is old enough <laughs> you to write to have one of these. All right, when I was preparing for this lesson, well, let's don't act like I can't, I can see. When I was preparing for this lesson, I was trying to figure out how I would intro it. I came across the following story. Not sure it's 100% accurate, but it could be a preacher story. And since we know preachers don't exaggerate or add to stories for sermon purposes, I went with it. Like many churches, like NBCOC, we have a benevolence ministry. The church I read about received an interesting request from someone in the community. His name was Marcus, and he was asking for financial assistance. The church received a lot of requests for benevolence, but this one is a little unique. Marcus was asking for help to pay for his headstone and its inscription. The preacher assumed, like in many other benevolence requests, that the church would take care of it, but he wanted to learn more. After all, it's not every day that someone asks for help to buy their own gra grave marker. The preacher thought whatever words he wanted to have inscribed might tell a little bit more about Marcus and what he was thinking. And this is what it would say. Forgive me for the days I wasn't grateful. Suddenly, the preacher had a bunch of questions. What was he dying of? How much time did he have left? Why did he want this plea to be left behind? And Marcus was asking for forgiveness. Did ungratefulness need forgiveness? Was it a sin? When I read this story, I have to admit at first, it just kind of went over my head, didn't think about it a lot, but I kept coming back to it, and it really started to eat at me a little bit. 
Forgive me for the days I wasn't grateful. How does that hit you? I don't know about you, but I started to think back on my life in the periods of whining and complaining over the years. Nobody look at Lenon right now. In reality, there have been stretches of my life that you could have been labeled Jason whining and complaining about why things weren't better, why they weren't different, why it wasn't going my way. Woe is me. Now, I'm more than willing to admit that that attitude doesn't match up with my professed faith as well as other times in my life. But the Marcus story had me thinking, was the ungratefulness a sin? And if it was, wasn't it just kind of an insignificant one, if there is such a thing? I mean, really, was this something that I needed to be asking for forgiveness for, like Marcus? The mental wrestling brought me to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How does this verse strike you? Here's how it began to strike me. This isn't just a helpful suggestion or hint for a healthy and happy long life. It's a command. A command like, thou shall not kill, or thou shall have no other gods before me. It's commanded, and if we don't do it, then aren't we disobeying the Almighty? And disobedience? Well, disobedience is a sin all day long. And sin is something we need to ask for forgiveness for, right? And repent of? So then maybe Marcus was on to something. I'm not the only complainer you're running to this morning. Let's look at the scripture and find some others. Turn with me to Exodus 16, 2 and 3, if you would. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into the desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Here we see the Israelites in the wilderness. God has miraculously led them out of their oppressive bondage in Egypt. Now these former slaves are making their way across the desert to the, to the promised land. The land that would be theirs. But in this journey, they forget about the miraculous departure and they begin complaining. They're ungrateful. They act as if they, they had the good life in Egypt. It was a never-ending fiesta. Remember the good old days, they cry? Except they left out one critical part. They were slaves. They weren't lounging in an all-inclusive resort. They were slaves. Despite their constant complaining, God is still gracious and provides for them a food called manna. Is everybody familiar with manna? Just in case not, I, I had the opportunity uh, to serve the, in the United States Navy for six years, uh, my wife eight years, when we were deployed on what they like to call cruises, too tricky in the United States Navy, um, we sometimes were served meat that we weren't exactly sure what animal it came from. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And so we referred to that as what? Mystery meat. And so maybe what we could describe manna is, is mystery bread. And in fairness to the Israelites, what is this is not usually something we want to say when we look at something and, and want it to be appetizing and exciting to eat. When you sit down for your next holiday dinner or family meal, you don't want to look across the table and say, what is that? You don't want to point to someone and say, hey, just pass me whatever that is. And if you're a kid, you definitely don't want to hear mom say, you've got to take a bite of whatever that is. 
No, I don't know what it is. It's something grandma made. Just put some gravy on it, hold your nose, and swallow it. <laughs> Nevertheless, the Israelites are starving, and God miraculously provides manna. But instead of being thankful for God's provision, what do they do? They complain. They grumble. Listen to the paraphrase of Numbers 4, 11, 4 through 6 in the message. The misfits among the people had a craving, and soon they had the people of Israel whining. Why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt and got it for free. Say nothing of the cucumbers and melons, the leeks and onions and garlic. But nothing tastes good out here. All we get is manna, manna, manna. In case you wondered about how God felt about the complaining, just look down a little bit more into Numbers 11, 18 through 20. God gives Moses a message to share with everyone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and, and you have wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? Did your mom or dad ever say to you, You want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> Amen? Well, that's what's going on here. The Israelites' lack of gratitude seems to be a big deal to God. In fact, if we look out hundreds of years later in Psalm 95, we, still, we see God still talking about the offensive, faithless complaining of the Israelites in the desert. In fact, over a thousand years later, it's recorded in Hebrews 3 that God spoke of the complaining and whining that took place in the desert. The question we have to ask is why? Why does God take grumbling and complaining so seriously? It seems to me it's because he takes it personally. He graciously provides for his children, but instead of noticing and being grateful, they complain. Of course he takes that uh, personally. As parents, we get that, right? We work hard, we make sacrifices, and we want to provide for our children and give them a good life. We don't expect perfect gratitude or appreciation, but when they start grumbling and complaining, well, that hurts us. It affects us. God has freed his people from slavery and oppression, and in leading them to the promised land, flowing with milk and honey, he's provided for all their needs, so they don't have to worry about a thing. How do they thank him? Yeah, that's all great, God, but what about the dinner? I still think today that God takes complaining personally because complaining overlooks the greatness of grace we have received from him. It undermines the good news of the gospel and ignores the generosity and faithfulness of God. I believe that this kind of complaining is highly offensive to God. Here's what I mean by that. It's like we're saying, I don't believe God can take care of me. I don't believe he will keep his promises. I don't believe he can redeem me with what I'm going through right now. When you strip it down, complaining is a refusal to fully trust God and acknowledge grace in, his life, in your life. Whining is the opposite of worship, and complaining is the rival of grace. Perhaps we'd say complaining is the opposite of thanksgiving, not grace. But grace and thanksgiving are closely intertwined throughout the scripture. We even see this today in the way we talk. In fact, when we want to sit down and express thanksgiving for a meal, what do we do? We say grace. When we complain, we stop paying attention to what we have, and we become fixated on what we don't have. 
Complaining has a way of pulling the shade down on the window of grace. It keeps the light of God's grace from shining in. The Israelites ignored that they were free for the first time in generations because of their obsession with what was on the dinner menu. Research has shown that the more we complain, the more we find things to complain about. One study I ran across separated people into two groups. The first group was assigned to keep a daily irritation log for all the things that annoyed them. Participants in the second group were asked to keep a gratitude journal and to record all the things that they were grateful for. The study found that those who kept the gratitude journals had greater overall energy and enthusiasm, they slept better, and they were less likely to become depressed. They also discovered that whatever each person was and what group they were in, that they were assigned to do intentionally, they began to do unintentionally. People who had a list of annoyances became increasingly discontent. People who had a list of positives became increasingly grateful. Grumbling like grace has a way of becoming a lens through which we look through life. Complaining keeps us focused on what we, uh, we wish was different rather than what we should be thankful for today. This is why I think if you have an opportunity to visit a third world country and you come back, you've had a little perspective about how your life really is and what you should be thankful for. How many of you know what this stands for? Anybody? Anybody? Go. First world problems. Typically on social media, people use this hashtag to make fun of people that are really complaining about things that they should see as blessings. Maybe a few examples. How frustrating is it to get home from the grocery store and there's no room in the refrigerator for all that new food? Or, oh, this is so annoying. This movie is taking so long to download on my new smartphone. I'm so sick of eating at all the restaurants near work. Why can't we have more choices? Ugh. I hate it when my Apple Watch doesn't register the right distance when I'm running on the beach. This is going to be one of those days. You've heard the statement, haters going to hate, well, complainers going to complain. It doesn't matter how generous the provision is or how thoughtful the gift is, they will still find something to complain about. And the more you complain, the more you'll find more things to complain about. Complaining causes us to become increasingly obsessed with our less than perfect circumstances. Gratitude, on the other hand, isn't dependent on circumstances. God wants us to be thankful, but when we complain, we lose sight of what we should be thankful for. Let me say it like this. Like grace, complaining has a way of spreading. True? Complaining spreads from one person to another person, and it can affect an entire community, a family, or even a church family. It takes just one whiny family member, one negative neighbor, or a couple of critical church members for the community to become infected. Complaining is contagious because the person is pointing out everyone else to everyone else, how things could be better. If we were coming in on a Sunday morning into the fellowship hall and we we're going into Bible class and I came in and I was just, oh, it's freezing in here. And I'm talking about how cold it is. It won't take long before a few other people start feeling chilly. You might not have noticed that the Thanksgiving stuffing was dry until somebody else pointed it out. Think back to Numbers 11. The grumbling started with the misfits who soon had everyone complaining. 
God's people should have been positive and grateful because God had rescued them and provided for them. But instead, the noise God hears, grumbling and complaining. In his book, Seen Through the Fog, a former minister of a large church in Michigan talks about his first 12 years living with ALS. ALS is a degenerative disease with no known cause or cure. Here's what he said. There are many things for which I am not grateful. I can no longer button the buttons on my shirt. I can no longer put on a heavy jacket. I can no longer raise my right hand above my head. I can no longer write. I can no longer eat with my right hand. I eat with my left hand, and now that's becoming a challenge. And over time, all of these challenges will get worse and worse. So what in the world do I have to be grateful for? So much. Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. Lord, thank you that I can turn over in my bed. Lord, thank you that I can still get out of bed and I can walk to the bathroom. Lord, thank you that I can still brush my teeth. Lord, thank you I can still eat breakfast. Lord, thank you I can still dress myself, drive my car, and I can still walk. And Lord, thank you that I can still talk. And the list goes on and on. He said, I've learned in my journey with ALS to focus on what I can do, not what I can't do. I have learned to be grateful for the small things in my life and for the many things I still can do. Here's a man who's on a painful, uh, uh, debilitating march to death. It would seem that he has plenty to complain about, but he's not. He's looking through a different lens. He's looking at his, his circumstances that he's going through through the lens of grace with a grateful heart. For us, while in the moment or when we're in the valley, it may not seem like we can, but we can learn to rejoice even in our suffering. If you turn with me to 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Give you guys just a second to do that. It's recorded. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. While the context here isn't physical illness or anything like that, it's persecution, I still think the principles apply regardless of the situation. We can also consider Acts 5, 40 through 42. If you turn there with me. <coughs> it's recorded. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and then had them flogged. Then they ordered them to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, dis suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple's courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, let's get practical. Think about the most complaint-worthy thing you have in your life right now. Don't say it out loud just in case that thing is sitting close to you. All right, go ahead and think about it. However, before you complain about it, consider what God's grace may be working to accomplish. What if God's going to take you through this and take you through this journey and actually bring a blessing later? Ultimately, our reasons for circumstantial complaining should be very few because we worship a God of resurrection. If he can turn the death of Jesus into our salvation, well, he can do anything with the problems that we may be enduring. If that's not resonating, 
then we could reverse engineer grace a little bit in your life. Because many times when we're going through things, we have a hard time of seeing that grace or that blessing. So, but sometimes we can see it in the rearview mirror. When you got dumped by someone you really cared for, you probably wish things were different. But now that you're married to the love of your life, or you understand who that person truly is, you can see God's grace. When you get, didn't get accepted to the college that you wanted, or that vocational program that would really help you take care of your family, or you didn't get that promotion at work, you were probably pretty upset. You wish things were different. You may have been angry, but now that you're doing something that you love or find fulfilling, or it takes care of your family even better than you thought, you can look back and see God's grace. When you were diagnosed with that difficult illness and going through that treatment, you almost certainly wish things were different. But during that time, you, drew clo you grew closer to Jesus. Your faith was never stronger. And now you can look back and see God's grace. Sometimes we look back and realize that we were complaining about a blessing. We just couldn't see it for everything that was going on. God's grace was at work in our lives, but we were too busy focused on the things that we were ungrateful for, complained about, or the difficult things in front of us. But I think my, many of us in the room also understand that this isn't a natural part of life. We're not born with an attitude of gratitude. We're not born with a sense of contentment. It's something that we have to learn. It's something we have to experience and grow in. And so let's look at Paul's words about this in Philippians 4, verse 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The key part of that is what? I have learned. It's not I am or I was born like this. I have learned to be content. No matter if we have much or little, at the end of the day, we always have what we need as long as we understand that what? Our strength and fulfillment comes from and through Christ. Our strength and fulfillment comes from and through Christ and Christ alone. We started this message with Marcus, if you remember that story. The guy who asked, us, asked for help for his headstone. Let's return to that story. The preacher in the story decided that he needed to meet this guy and try to build a relationship with him. One day, Marcus woke up jaundiced. He described himself as orange as a pumpkin. He'd been a heavy drinker earlier in his life and assumed that he had cirrhosis of the liver. He went to the hospital for testing and within hours was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He was, he was told he'd only have a short time to live, but they would treat him anyway. And the treatment slowed the cancer enough that he and the preacher began to build a little bit deeper of a relationship. That gave time for the preacher to get up, get to know him, and ask him some questions that really had been on his heart and mind. The preacher asked him about being grateful in the current circumstances that Marcus was in, and here's what Marcus said. It started slowly, I began being grateful for those little things like my clothes, my next meal, those material things that we often call our daily bread. And I began to see things through, through different eyes. Now I see things in, the, in an eternal light, how this life will have a profound effect on my next life 
and how anticipation of the next life is having a profound effect on the life I live now. And it's been truly amazing. Then the preacher asked him about the inscription. And this is what Marcus replied. I want to forward a message on to the wayward passerby who comes across my headstone and maybe identifies with it. And who has the eyes to discern the message? And the simple line is this. Forgive me for the days I was not grateful. And in this one sentence, it states my problem. I wasn't grateful. And it also includes the solution. Forgive me. And that is the message I want to pass on. Message received, Marcus. Please forgive us for the days that we are not grateful. Give us the ability to recognize that God's grace and his love and mercy for us is more than enough to be thankful for. And even when we wish things and know things and desire things to be different, that we can be grounded in that grace and love of God. So, I was going to say, who knows what this is, but you can't see it. It's just like a book, right? Um, but this is a gratitude journal. And so, some, uh, some of the guys in the Wednesday morning coffee, we've talked about these gratitude journals. I think they like the phrase gratitude log better uh, than journal. Um, but, so what I want to encourage you to do as we move forward, tomorrow's the start of a new week, right? Uh, we're getting close to the start of a new year, is, is to find uh, a notebook, a journal, uh, it doesn't have to be a fancy gratitude journal. It can just be uh, a stack of papers, whatever it may be. And then each and every morning, when you get up to start your day, write down five to seven things that you're grateful for. Every day, get in a habit. Five to seven things. First thing in the morning, just write it down. And I think that you'll start to see a difference. This is something that I've been practicing on my own uh, for the last few months, and it's made a huge impact um, and I have a long way to go, uh, but, I, but I think it's something to do. So that brings us to these. So we want to help you get a start on this gratitude journal, this gratitude log of having a daily thought when you start your day about what you are thankful for versus I'm waking up and this hurts and why is this and I'm stressed at work and why is my wife mad at me and why do my kids do this and on and on and on. So if you open it up, and go in. Again, if you don't have one, please raise your hand and we'll get you one and a writing utensil. Inside, you'll find a card. And it's, what, what am I thankful for? What are you thankful for? And there's five lines there. I'm going to give you a few minutes to fill this out. After you've filled it out, put it back in the envelope. Seal it. You don't have to lick it. We did a nice little sticky thing. Um, seal it and then self-address it to yourself. When you leave today out in the foyer, there's some baskets. I'm going to ask you to drop those in the basket. We're not going to look at them. They're sealed. But I promise you, you'll see these again one day. When you least expect it, maybe you'll be going through a tough time or a tough day, and this will show up in the mail. So next three or four minutes, let's just uh, focus in on this. If you found that difficult uh, to, to fill out, um, just starts one step at a time, right? And so it's this focus first on our underlying joy that we should have because of the love and the salvation we have in Christ. Uh, this is a time in every service uh, where we invite anyone to come forward. Um, if you're going through something in your life and you could use prayers or help, we encourage you uh, to come down. Uh, if you're not comfortable coming down, that's okay. Uh, you can 
find one of us, find me, find Jason, find one of the staff or elders and, and share what's going on in your life. If you just need to stand aside and pray, we can do that with you. Um, it's also a time that we invite you, if you have not put on Christ in baptism, that you come forward and do it. And if you haven't done it, I'm just going to ask you, why not? We are not uh, promised tomorrow. Today is the day. If you don't feel you're ready and you need to maybe study and learn some more, we have lots of wonderful people in this church that would be more than happy to sit down and have a Bible study with you to help you get to know Christ and his love and his service and his death, burial, and resurrection so that you can make that decision for yourself and have uh, joy about eternal life. So with the invitation to come forward, I'm going to tell you that I'm already down here, but this morning I'm, I'm coming forward. And I'm coming forward, hopefully I'll make it through it, um, because I'm not always the example my family needs to see on this gratefulness, uh, this thing of this underlying joy, uh, always looking to improve, or why isn't it this way, or why isn't it that way. Um, not being as thankful for my family as I need to be. And I'm sorry about that. And so if you struggle with that at all, uh, if you feel like that you could use a gratitude adjustment, then I encourage you to come down forward with me. Uh, Glenn will lead us in a prayer. Um, if this is something that you can struggle with from time to time, being a negative Nelly, uh, just focusing on the things that aren't or the things that you don't have, and you could use that prayer, please join me down here as uh, Skeeter will lead us in our Invitation song. Thank you for the love.